Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast. My name is Edwin Frondozo, and I am super excited to share with you episode number 47 with Heather Shantora, the CEO of PT Healthcare and InnoCare. In our conversation, Heather talks about taking risks to try new things, what it was like to move from one industry to another, and what it means to lead a health tech company. Before jumping in, I'd like to thank my media partners, IT World Canada and Startup Canada, for the support of the podcast. Now enjoy the show. Hi, Heather. Thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, awesome. Heather, why don't we start off with you? If you could introduce yourself to our listeners today, tell them a little something about who you are personally when you're not growing, when you're not leading businesses. Sure. Yeah. I'm a, a mom of two little kids, so that certainly keeps me busy outside uh, the office. Um, and then other than that, like I'm, I enjoy going to the gym, sports, things that really can take your mind off, off work and you really have to be in the moment. And I actually just recently took up painting as well. Painting? So, same reason, right? It's, it's a creative opportunity where you kind of close everything else out. It's kind of like meditation, right? You just, you're really just in that moment. What was the interest? Were you, was this something that you wanted to do in the past? Like my grandmother actually was a painter, a stay at home mom and painter. And my mom's artistic. And, uh, previously I had done a lot of, uh, music when I was little. And so kind of arts are, are something I'm pretty passionate about. Why don't we just jump in? Tell us, uh, tell us and share with us for those out there who may not know. Tell us a bit more about InnoCare, your current role, and maybe if you could share what you're trying to accomplish over the next 12 months. Sure, yeah. Um, InnoCare, I'm, I'm so excited about this as a, a concept. Um, myself and my leadership team had, you know, eight to 10 years experience running um, a national chain of physiotherapy clinics. And uh, they were in every province. We had, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of employees. And we learned a lot about running a multi-site business. And, and what the real value we were able to create out of that is creating centralized services and technology that ran throughout the business. It's very very difficult to run a multi-site business um, and technology as the backbone of the business allows you to get consistent metrics, you know, have a pulse on the business at any given moment. So we actually acquired a, a software company put a lot of investment into it and released it as InnoCare software. And coupled with that software, we provide call center services, centralized billing. So we're really a clinic in a box for all the independent clinics out there, whether they're physio, chiro, massage. And that's a market that there's not as much attention paid to when it comes to electronic medical records. Um, a lot of attention is given to physicians and hospitals. Not a lot is for those outside the OHIP system or the healthcare system. And so that's really the niche that InnoCare is filling. Oh, that's amazing. And this company that you acquired, was it 
a company, was it a service provider for you and your organization at the time? No, so we only acquired um, the software code for the um, practice management software that's in the clinics. Um, the services we actually created for that chain of clinics we were running, um, and we expanded it to take on a dependent clinic, so that was something we actually created ourselves. And then on top of the software, we've built a really cool electronic charting system that really helps clinicians get through their day faster and the reason that matters is they can see more patients which helps decrease wait times and take some burden off the healthcare system so you know using technology to improve healthcare is is what myself and the team are, are really passionate about yeah and you mentioned something and me doing my research before you came in you talked about wait time and this is something that your organization gets involved in with it in a lot. So do you see the impact of centralized services like this as well? Absolutely. So I think independent clinics that are disconnected don't have the benefit of scale, right? They don't, they don't have the benefit of knowing um, how to quickly and efficiently book a patient, how to give them the best patient experience. So we have all of that knowledge. What we're doing is packaging it up and providing it to independent clinics. But that knowledge allows them to be efficient mm-hmm. in their practice. Um, and that's really important because efficiency in a practice is the difference between, you know, getting through your wait list and not getting through your wait list. So um, it's it's a significant challenge for independent independent clinic businesses. Oh, that's great. And you mentioned, and I probably could talk about these type of services forever and these solutions for small business because as it relates to things that I'm passionate about in my business itself, but you obviously found an, a niche I guess, and this is something that is passionate of helping these these folks out. Mm-hmm. What what were they what was what were they using before? Well, so a lot, believe it or not, paper charts. Like if wow. you think about you know going into your doctor not that long ago, they'd have a big paper chart, and your last name would be on the side of it, and they'd add to their notes. Um, so it's really a new market, which is you know kind of startling that technology is so late to come to healthcare. Right. Um, but it really is, and so that's why I think there's this massive opportunity because there's this void that wasn't filled by anyone mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that you're in that uh, in that space and filling that void. But Heather. As I did my research with, <laughs> and I was looking at it on LinkedIn, I mean, you have an interesting career path before you became CEO of InnoCare. You had several other leadership roles. You were advisor to a local MP, a cabinet minister, and you were the Canadian delegation of the 2005 World Trade Organization. Mm-hmm. I'd love if you could share with us some key challenges or, or even opportunities that you encountered that eventually allowed you to grow as a business leader. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, when anyone starts out in their career, you kind of have the destination in mind and you kind of commit to an area um, you want to focus on. I mean, any of us in our undergrad, right, your, your very first year or even when you're in high school, you have to pick your major. And and I think something I learned along the way is you really need to find out what your strengths are and follow that. It's not actually the topic that typically matters. It's what you bring to the table. What's your unique value? And so you're right. My, my career has been... Um, you know, varied for sure, but I think it was because I was able to figure out how I added value, which is really um, finding solutions to overcome problems and identifying gaps in businesses or in, you know, in 
um, when working for the cabinet minister would be gaps in policy, for example. And so that is probably the skill set I bring to the table. So then it doesn't really matter whether it's healthcare or energy or, you know, the youth justice system was one of the ones we worked on. Um, it's really what you can uniquely bring, um, to add value to the people that you report to. And then that's ultimately how you're able to move up. I mean, it sounds like to me and many, many, many of the younger listeners out there, I mean, you had a career path at Balance Industries, and which is interesting to, mm-hmm. to many out there. Mm-hmm. Were you driven by the fact that you knew you were filling gaps or was it, okay, this sounds interesting, like, let me, let me, let me go there and try it out? Yeah, I think you need a fearlessness to jump between industries yeah. and you're right, you don't you don't see that a ton. But I think, you know, that's just down to your willingness to take risks. Um because you know, the worst possible thing you could do is fail, but you know, failing as you're young and starting out in your career, there's there's very little downside to that. There's actually very little risk to that. And so I, I think, you know, to get to certain areas of leadership, it really does take courage right and and so you know it's it's critically important i think as someone goes up the ladder to realize that there's you know if you can take a risk you should take a risk in fact i have some friends who are entrepreneurs and they started their businesses in their early 20s and now at my age i don't know if i would go out and start a company and the reason is because you become accustomed to things right you you have a salary you have a mortgage you have a car payment you have all these things but when you're in your early 20s if you make a mistake you have very little to lose right and so Certainly throughout my career, I'm happy that, um, you know, I took risks because there was, you know, it wasn't very far to fall if I made a mistake. And and you always learn something, even if it's yeah. from, you learn more from your mistakes than your successes, right? So, so it was, uh, it was well worth it. Oh, that's great. And how did you get involved with uh, being an advisor to in government or government policy? Um, great question. So I, um, I actually did my undergrad in economics and I worked in finance for a few years and it, it, uh, it just wasn't for me. I just, you know, wasn't as passionate about it. So I, um, took the opportunity to go do my master's and I love Paris and I always wanted to live in Paris. So what better reason to go move to Paris and to go do your master's. And it, it felt like then I could justify running off to Paris for a few years. And that, and that wasn't a big risk either. <laughs> no, you know, I, like, honestly, I learned so much, like moving to another country. I mean, I speak French, but it's like culturally, like it, it's a very challenging thing. And, you know, um, particularly in Canada, where we have so many people who are new to Canada, like that is a courageousness that all of us need to respect sure. because that is not an easy challenge. And, and so it was really interesting. Um, going to France and being, you know, being the immigrant and feeling it from the other side, um, huge eye opener. Anyways, when I came back, um, that was when kind of my commitment to like the social good kind of came out. And, um, so I had networked my way into, um, an MP in the Christian government and then, uh, a cabinet minister in the McGuinty government. But it was really because I wanted to do things that affected the majority of people for the right reasons. Um, whereas in finance, it, it felt much more insular than that. And so that was really how, how that came to be. You know, talking about all the different verticals and organizations and even, you know, from private to public, you change roles and obviously your team, your responsibilities change along with them, Heather. So I'm really curious, how did you adjust and continually grow as, as an effective business leader? That's, you know, some of that 
is beyond your control, which is cool, right? And, and that's part of that's the risk, right? Like where there is an element of unknown, uh, you know, who you report to, who you have reporting to, your responsibilities, there's a lot of that you can't dictate. And so you do have to be willing um, to take on a challenge. Um, you know, something sometimes I hear people say is, you know, they're they're giving me so much more work or they're giving me other areas to work on. And I just think, well, that's that's the wrong attitude. Like what an exciting challenge. And the more you take on, the, the easier it is to grow and move up the chain, right? Because it, that's ultimately about taking on more responsibility over wider scope. And, and so I think there's a certain amount that I could control, which is, I would say, a resiliency. So, you know, if you fail, that's fine. Get back up. And, uh, and then I would say just, you know, composure under pressure, because whatever it is, it's not that bad and everything's going to be okay. So, you know, finding your way through adversity and having composure in that, I think the resiliency and the composure is what led to increasing leadership positions. So whether it's public, private, I mean, those are two matter. characteristics that are just required. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where you are. So. so when you did take on more of these leadership roles, what is one thing you wish you knew looking back? Like if someone out there is listening and they're, they're that person just taking it on. Mm-hmm. So everyone says it's, it's lonely at the top, and, and that phrase is fine, but that it's not very meaningful right. um, until you're kind of in it. And, and it's not just at the top. It's every leadership position. You become privy to more information that you can't share um, and information that you need to take decisions on. And sometimes those are difficult decisions. And, and so there is a loneliness in that, right? There is... There is an isolation in that, and that's something that you're actually, I don't think anything can prepare you for that. Um, and the the um, number of people you can talk to about your challenges decreases with uh-huh. every level you go up. And so that's that's tricky. And making even bigger decisions with every increase in leadership and having fewer and fewer people to talk to that's really challenging, but I don't think that that's something that a lot of people talk about. And I don't think it's, I think it's also something you can't understand until you're experiencing it. And then you're like, wow, like th- this is really down to me now, you know? And, and that's, that's scary. That, that courage comes back in, right? So that's well, the courage and uh, really walking that path, right? I mean, hearing that statement when you're younger means nothing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, but I guess as you went up, like, who do you look for now? You, you mentioned, that the people you speak to is much less now. Uh, people may not understand. So do you have any specific mentors or people that you rely on or, or who provided key insights, you know, or even those aha moments as, as, mm-hmm. as your career moved along? Mm-hmm. So I have like almost an unofficial advisory board. So that's just kind of a collective group of people that, that I really trust and I go to, uh, one of whom is the founder of the company. Um, so his wisdom is great. Um, one of whom is my significant other. He runs a company. His wisdom is great. So you do kind of create this advisory board. I think we all do in our lives. Um, Another thing that was really helpful for me is I joined what's called Young Presidents Organization, mm-hmm. YPO, and, and um, you have to be a CEO or president under the age of 45 and have a certain amount of revenue that's verified and audited. And and that's essentially just a group of really young CEOs like me that have no idea what they're doing. And we're all just hoping for the best and making decisions day to day and hoping they're the right ones. And so that really created an opportunity and a safe space to talk through ideas with people, which was wonderful. And then the other thing I heavily rely on is actually reading business articles. Um, you know, 
Harvard Business Review articles about other companies, you know, they may not be in my sector at all. And in fact, it's almost better when they aren't. Um, because you just look at that company, you get perspective on the issue and that helps you think through your problem. Sometimes you're so deep in your problem, you can't, you can't see it simplistically. And I find case studies and business reviews really help take me out of the problem, look at it at a bigger picture and then come back to the problem from a different perspective. Oh, that's interesting. And I'm really curious. I've heard of YPO and obviously from a number of my guests, but how did you come to know of the organization? Because if you're a young leader moving up, sometimes the folks in your company don't know about it either. Mm -hmm. So like, how, how did you fall into that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So fortunately, the founder of my company was actually a YPO member. And so he um, told me about it. And I'm very thankful for that. But I do think that not enough people right. know about it. Um, and in particular, not enough women. I think some of that is because of the age limits at 45. And many of us take time out to raise a family. And so that upper age limit becomes a challenge. Um, but I do think it's something that, you know, if anyone is in a, a president or CEO or, you know, significant title such as that they should consider joining because the value the professional development and value it brings um, is enormous and I think not enough people know about it unfortunately right. no for sure and where did you fall I wouldn't say fall in love but where did you get the passion of reading the Harvard Business Review because was it was that something that you heard about I mean that's just not every what everyone reads mm -hmm. um, so doing my master's um, we had to do a lot of uh, literature review and things like that but what I found I, and which I enjoyed at the time but I really came back to um, when I was COO of the company and then CEO, because again, you have less people to rely on. And so, you know, I would just kind of go to similar companies to read about their challenges and, and kind of through the course of doing that, I realized it's actually better to pick dissimilar companies. Um, so let's say retention of staff is, is a challenge, which is a current challenge. Um, that would be something where I might read about retention of staff, but it's, you know, in a different country in a different sector, but the, the ideas are the same, right? And so, um, so I think it, you know, it came from, you know, six years of university does create a passion, uh, or a distaste for reading, <laughs> exactly. for reading. Um, but it, it is that the smaller the pool of people you have to talk to about it, you do have to find alternative ways to come up with ideas. No, that's great. And I love the, I love the, that we're talking about reading. It's almost a perfect segue, Heather. That's, uh, I know you shared with me recently, uh, you just finished The Hard Thing About, uh, with the Hard Thing About Hard Things by yes. Ben Horowitz. It's a popular book. Um, it's been mentioned a number of times, but I guess for you, what were your biggest takeaways from that book? What I thought was so interesting about the book is it's it's told by Ben Horowitz directly to you, right? Like so, it's it's you know it's a very conversational read, um, and he's providing his advice on um, creating a startup company, and then the failure of that, and then success of that, and another one, and another one, and. He just is very direct about the mistakes he made as a CEO and the lessons he learned as a CEO. And he just tells it straight in the book about, you know, the things he would do. Like one of the, the chapters um, for me was, you know, great, your CEO 
now what, you know, and, mm -hmm. and how to tell if you're a good CEO. Another one was, you know, how to demote a loyal friend. That's a tough subject no one talks to you about, but it's a reality that sometimes you have to manage difficult situations. So, you know, to just read about it independently and have his positives and negatives about his, his own learning, I just, I, I found it really, really helpful. And there's not a lot of books out there that just tell you all the positives and negatives about about their experience and you know he's he's had a ton of success but he also had a lot of setbacks and and i think there's a lot to be learned from that and most books just tell you all the wonderful things that happen right right that's that's where this is different so, so the book it also sounds like it's something that you could always refer back to and, oh yeah yeah and, and absolutely and it's got because he um really just tells a story about about what happened uh with him and those decisions and the consequences of the decisions you can come back to it right you don't need to read the whole book but you you can actually pick sections like there'll be sections on recruitment for example or you know one's called the right way to lay people off like things that are very timely that you can you can come back to it's very accessible which i appreciate becoming a leader you know you have different position different insights so if I were to ask any of your team or your colleagues, peers, what is Heather's best leadership quality? What do you think, or maybe what do you hope they would say? Ooh, what I hope they would say and what they would say are definitely two different things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would hope that they would say that uh, I am very fair and I recognize high potential talent and, and really try to work with people to make them better leaders. Um, I definitely think leadership consists of a team, not an individual. And, mm -hmm. and I would hope that they feel that. Um, I think if you were to ask them, there's a, there's a joking phrase around the office called Heather's crazy ideas, because <laughs> I always come into a meeting and I'm like, Hey everyone, I've had this crazy idea. And, and, uh, I love so it. I think, I think they would say probably like the innovative nature or, you know, thinking about problems, uh, differently, but it's, it's now like, like a coined phrase at the office. So yeah, I that's think probably what I'll be known for. <laughs> they might need to frame that or, or yeah. paint it on yeah. the wall. Yeah. So what else, Heather? Do you have any other special projects, initiatives, or anything fun that you're looking forward to, looking or are you excited to do? So you know, I think, I think the InnoCare business and health tech as a whole is fun and fascinating and underserviced. You know, if if you think about um, the banking sector, for example, which is is probably the next um, closest things to our heart after healthcare is probably our money. Um, you know, that's something there's been technology deployed throughout that industry, mm -hmm. you know, for decades. And yet in healthcare, you know, we talk so much about data privacy and, you know, not sharing information and, and, you know, that it's just kind of illogical. And, and the more studies, we actually just did a study recently and it shows that patients actually do want their physicians and their healthcare practitioners to talk to each other. So I feel like in healthcare, we've made a lot of assumptions about technology and what patients want. And I think right now there's just such a huge opportunity to challenge those assumptions and think differently about it. So I'm excited about technology and healthcare period. And there's some other really neat things they're doing like 3d printing organs and like just wow. amazing, amazing things that are happening in health tech so um so i'm just excited to let it all unravel before us because i think it's going to be this next two decades it's going to be incredible that's really exciting i'm curious and, and you brought up in terms of the assumptions within the health you know the health vertical and the health space is is this something that is 
just within Canada, or this is North American problem, or is this is this type of worldwide where these communications, or this is what the patients are really looking for? Mm-hmm. I think it's worldwide. I did read about one of the Nordic countries who decided they were going to have a digital solution to healthcare, and this was a mandate about seven years ago by the Prime Minister at the time, and they ended up having a fully interoperable system where if you went to a nurse practitioner or a doctor, or a specialist, or a physio, all of the medical records would speak. Um, with the exception of that small Nordic country, I do not know of anywhere else where it's actually that great. It's fairly fragmented. And, right. and I think some of the challenge of that is is the legacy of it. So we have a bunch of independent systems that did booking and billing, and it's hard to get them to speak um, to each other. And then I think some of it is privacy laws and things like that. And I absolutely understand the need um and the place for privacy laws, but it can create accidental barriers to moving forward with technology. And when you think about a patients, um, all of their health care practitioners speaking to each other, that's actually critically important for their health and for their healthcare outcomes. You don't want to clinicians giving them contraindicated advice. Um, you don't want them to forget that their surgeon said, you know, don't do this postoperatively and then their physio to do that, for example. So the fact that they don't talk is, is dangerous. And I think what we need is our, our policy to catch up to that, um, to make sure that we're not creating prohibited of you know privacy policies um and and then i think we need our technology um to catch up to that and i think some of that is has to be driven by the physicians and the patients um demanding it and requiring it and i think in canada we're a little bit further behind in that but many many systems uh Mm -hmm. they have challenges with the interoperability of the various softwares that's that's deployed throughout healthcare before we end heather i'd love to get some final thoughts observations or perhaps ideally some type of actionable recommendations that you could share to anyone listening who's looking to grow within a leadership role or they're thinking about switching mm-hmm. switching verticals, switching industries, anything you'd love to share? I think that um, someone should have a very good understanding of their own strengths. I think self-awareness is immensely important. And if, if you're not sure, ask the people around you. But I think if we play to our strengths, um, we become much better than if we play to our weaknesses, right? Like we should, we can fill the gaps of weaknesses with, with other people or people who report to us. But if we really solidify what our strengths are, have that validated by the people around us and concentrate on that, I think, I think we then as individuals clearly know what we have to offer. Um, as a leader, um, and then we can articulate that for our next move up. So I think not being afraid to take the risk to the next move is very important. Um, but I think knowing what you bring to the table is how you get that opportunity to take that next risk. Thank you for sharing. So to close, Heather, please tell us where we can find more information about you, your company, or anything else you'd love to share with us. Sure. So uh, InnoCare.ca has all of our software and services listed there. Um, And uh, the physiotherapy company I was referencing at the beginning is PTHealth.ca. And that's a national um, supplier of physio, chiro, massage therapy, etc. Awesome. Well, Heather, it's been a blast. Thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much, Edwin. That's it, folks. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast, episode 47 with Heather Shantora. For more information about Heather, InnoCare, PT Health, or anything else we mentioned, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 047. Be sure to tune in next week as I sit down with Sashin Agarwal, CEO of Think Research. Please subscribe to 
the show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you again, and Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com.